So the big thing for me was that the children didn't come to any harm, both physically or mentally, through me working full time. As they got older, they then started, instead of going to after school club, they then started to go into football club or rugby club or chess and things like that. So as a result, my boys now, 22 and 23, they're quite sporty. They're very bright. They're very sociable. They can talk to anybody at any age group, really. And they're very polite. And I'm, I have been sort of complimented on how polite and sort of lovely the boys are because they're well-rounded. But that makes the time that you are with them so much more important, that it that is quality time and that they aren't just plonked in front of a TV. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. I believe that no one should have to choose between the senior leadership role they dream of and enjoying their young children. In fact, too many brilliant people, especially mums, get stuck on the career ladder when they want to look after their children. This leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, white middle class people leading our organisations in executive boards. We can change this together. In fact, my hope is that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles imaginable, where you make decisions in the future that make our world a more equal and better place. I also want you to get involved beyond the podcast. So if you want to do so, have a look at our website. There are always events that we're putting on. Or if you want support from brilliant like-minded peers who also share the same vision, if you want to access a world-class career development program for parents with senior leader mentoring, then head to our website on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. Every month we send out new ideas to try and new things to think about and our free events, as I mentioned, and our award-winning programs. Today's podcast guest is Wendy Merricks, a senior leader mentor on the Leaders Plus Fellowship program. We talk about having children in quick succession, working full-time and believing in yourself. Enjoy the conversation. A very warm welcome, Wendy, to the podcast. I am so delighted to chat to you. We mentioned before you came on air that one of my colleagues, Helen Fraser, spoke to you about becoming a senior leader mentor and she came off the call completely in awe and so hence I said we must have her on the podcast. So thank you for agreeing. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, who you are, who's in your family and what you do for work? Thank you. And thank you for your positive words. And thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. So I'm Wendy Merricks. I'm the CEO of Juma. We're a group of companies that I established in 1999. We're a technology business split between doing recruitment industry and uh, technology projects for clients. So uh, I'm the CEO, established the business on the back of working for 25 years in the IT technology recruitment industry sector. I married quite young, but I didn't have my children until I was in my mid-30s. I was classed as a geriatric mum. I have 
two sons. I have Tom, who's 23. He was born in January 99. And I have Matthew, who's 22, who was born in December 99. So you can see I had quite a busy year in 1999. I have my husband, Paul, too. (laughs) I can imagine. And do you have any dogs, cats, guinea pigs? Yeah, we literally just got a puppy recently. So we've always had dogs and cats in the house. So I have three cats. Ozzy, Millie and Finlay. And we've just got an 11 week old fox red Labrador who's causing chaos in the house as well. So as well as a, a busy job, and we've got a busy house with children and pets as well. I bet. Oh, sorry. I forgot to mention that we've got 40,000 other pets, which is our bee collection in the garden. So my husband and I are beekeepers as well. Oh, I am very jealous and also very impressed. Can you tell me Just about if there is something that you've changed your mind on over the years of combining an ambitious career with young children, is there something that you used to think was true that you don't think is true anymore? Well, the obvious one for me really is that I thought that it would be really, really difficult to have a career and get into a very senior role. I thought that that I would always be sort of looked on less favourably because I, you know, I'd got such a young sort of family. But that is just something that's not true. And as I've employed so many people over the 40 or so years that I've been working, I've realised that where I felt that having a family was an inhibitor, I now believe that, that there is no such thing at all. So that is something that I have changed my mind about. And that's not just because... I've gone into a leadership role now. It's because I've, you know, networked and got to know so many other really successful female leaders who also have families. And it just shows that it it can be done. Because there are people who say you can't become a CEO and bring up a family. And I guess that's one of the reasons I set up Leaders Plus, because I really got a bit grumpy about that. And and I felt we needed role models like you. What did you do? I mean, that's a massive question. But Do you think there's something that made a difference to you getting there? I think it was surrounding myself with some really positive people. And it is something that I'm quite passionate about. I didn't think that I had much self-belief. Certainly when I left school, I didn't think I had much in the way of self-belief. So I always sort of went through probably the first 15, 20 years of my career thinking that I was just lucky and that I was just in the right place at the right time. Now, as I'm older and I can reflect back, it wasn't that I was lucky. It was that I was really determined and I worked very, very hard to get where I wanted to be. But the motivation for me really was sort of growing up in a female only household with just mum and two other sisters and no father in the house. And so money was always really tight. We didn't have new things. You know, we had things I had clothes made for me or gifted to me. Being the youngest of three girls, I was very much the, you know, the secondhand rose of the family. So when I started work and and I, you know, got my salary for the first time, that feeling of being financially independent and being able to, you know, have control over what you do and how much you earn was a real driver for me. Mm. I think it's really interesting, the social mobility story that you exemplify. You probably don't want to be a poster child for it in any shape (laughs) or form. But I think, you know, we don't have enough people who necessarily have done the journey that you have. And you've also left school with 
to all levels at the time at the age of 16. Right. Yeah. I mean, because childhood, and I don't want it to be sort of a violin story, really, but I guess it is a social mobility story because my middle sister, she has learned very severe learning difficulties and became schizophrenic when she was 15. I was 10 at the time. So I had to go and stay with various different family members, grandma, auntie, back to grandma. And, you know, I went to nine schools in five years. And so by the time I got to doing O-levels, GCSEs as they are now, I was so far behind the curriculum and so disjointed that I just gave up on school really and just went off the rails a little bit. So I was never a naughty child or dishonest. I just I just lost interest in the school curriculum. And so whilst, you know, the, the two O-levels I got was English and maths, I just didn't really try very hard at my exams. So when, when I left school, I really had no idea what I was going to do. There was no option to go to college. Mum said, we, we can't afford for you to go to college or go to sixth form. And you definitely can't go to university because we need you to go and earn money and bring mm. some income into the house. Mm-hmm. And yet you strike me as someone who does have a self-belief now. A lot of the parents I talk to, they feel their self-belief is shaken when they because they get these subliminal messages. Oh, why don't you just stay at home? And Maybe actually now you're not that good at your job anymore, whether it's real or whether they think it doesn't matter. It, it's that mm-hmm. self-belief. Have you naturally always had a really good self-belief or is this something that you've learned about how to have that self-belief? I think it's something that I've learned through observation of people's behaviours and the people that I've worked with. Working in technology from 1981, it was very much a male-dominated industry and Clearly, my whole career has been within technology. So, you know, even now it's still it's getting better, but it's still very male dominated. But I think I learned that I was actually quite competitive. So I always strived to compare myself with someone, whether they be male or female, but predominantly males. And I'd always have this belief that I could either match or better what they were doing. And so I think that's where my self-belief has grown and got more confident is because I set myself the next step, the next goal. And I think that's very important if you're lacking in self-esteem or self-belief is set yourself some small steps that you can achieve to build up that self-belief. And I think that's what I did. You know, I only ever strived just to sort of go up to the next step in, in my promotion it never occurred to me and it was never a dream for me to become a CEO. That was just what happened just by going up those incremental steps throughout my career. And then I just got there in the end. Mm, interesting. So it's just about setting yourself that next step rather than necessarily a big, scary dream. A big, scary step will be the reason why a lot of people potentially talk themselves out of it and say, negatively I'll never be that and or I could never be that because I can't fit it all in but you you can fit it all in and you can get there and you don't necessarily even have to set time constraints as to how quickly you need to get there unless there is a particular reason why you need to get there you have a need you have a financial need or you're just so ambitious that you need to get there so but a believer in having a rough plan 
and then working backwards from, you know, what does the outcome look like and what does good look like? And then work back and look at all of the things you need to do in order to achieve it. And you mentioned it's a male dominated environment where you work in. I'm making assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's also quite a private school educated dominated environment. It might, it might not be a know, lot, the tech a lot, sector. Mm. A lot of them are. If it's not privately educated, there's quite a lot of grammar school educated. But what's more prevalent is that there are a lot of graduates. A lot of people have been to university, which I didn't have that experience. And that's why, you know, I have a certain amount of young people that we employ that, you know, will come from, you know, that graduate background. But from, you know, my own sort of background in from a social mobility, we always take on a similar number of people that come straight from school or people that don't have degrees. So we don't insist that people have degrees. If they have a degree, then that's nice to have. But we, in any of the roles here, regardless of what it is, we don't insist that they have to be degree educated. Fantastic. And did you ever feel that there is a pressure to become like the others in your field? So be that like the men or like people who, who are from a different background than you? Not pressured to become like them, but what I think I was, I was going to say then um, that I was quite lucky. No, I wasn't lucky. I worked with a group of people that appreciated what I brought to the team, you know, the contribution that I made to the business and what I contributed. And there was always this expression, Wendy's just one of the lads. You know, when's one of the boys, we go out, you know, when, you know, can socialize and party just like the boys can. And those are, you know, if you like, those are more of the pressures that I feel that, you know, women in the workplace have difficulties with. Because once my children came along, the boys came along, there was a real balance between wanting to just finish work at the end of the day and go home because I needed to have my children time, but also having that feeling that I was then not one of the boys because I wasn't able to go out straight from work. And so how I sort of did that was that I just planned it. And I, you know, I, on the occasions where I could go out and, and join the, the, the socials, I made sure that, you know, the family were all organized with, you know, childcare cover, And, you know, oh, my mum would come and look after the boys. But, you know, my husband and I would share the, you know, the child responsibility, which gave me the opportunity to still go and, and socialise and be a part of the team. So I guess that there would have been some pressures there at, at some point. But it was really more that I felt like I was missing out if I didn't go out sometimes. And do you have any tips about what engagements to choose or how to not feel like you're left out if they're always going out to a particular bar and you just can't do it? So I would generally go out when the majority of the team are out because not everybody didn't go out every night and, and now people don't go out every night. But it's when the majority of the team go out or you're doing something, you're doing an activity. So for example, if they says, right, we're going to go bowling or we're going to go to an event, I would choose those times to go um, when the majority of the team are out rather than feeling 
that pressure to just pop out for an hour after work when there's only one or two or a smaller group going out. So I just chose the events that sort of got maximum exposure to all of my peers and leadership team. Mm. It sounds like you were in a very hectic, busy environment. Can you describe to me, just paint an image of what happened when you first had your first baby? I think you said you had him by IVF. Yes, yeah. So, of course, the difficulty of having IVF is because it's it's very time consuming, but it's also very stressful as well. It's it's a huge pressure on your, your relationship at home, but it's an even bigger pressure when you're in the workplace. And I was in, by the time I had the boys early in 1999 and formed the business in late 99, but didn't actually leave and start until just early into into 2000, not long after I had Matthew. So my day would start between 5 and 6 a.m. So I would get the boys up, get them ready. Well, when I had my first baby, I would I would get up and get him ready. When I did go back, I went back to work after 10 weeks after having my first baby. And I went back after, uh, after 16 weeks when I had my second son, Matthew. So I would be in the office for 8.30 because obviously before COVID, then it was you went into the office or you were, you were out visiting customers. So I would leave my son with a nanny that we had at the time. And then I would go into work for, for about sort of 8.30. I would work through until about 6 p.m. At, at night. I would get home just in time to bath and spend an hour with the baby. Um, so to bath him, put him to bed, and then I would go back downstairs and then I would do another couple of hours work. And I'd finish sort of working then by about 10 o'clock. I'd just have about an hour's sort of rest, have a cup of tea, and then go to bed. And then it was just the same the next day. And it was the same, you know, sort of five five days a week. But then when Matthew came along, it you know, it was it was even more hectic trying to sort of juggle the two. And it was the, the one thing that I changed as I went on was I really felt guilty when I used to go to work because I felt like I should be at home. And then when I was at home, I always felt guilty then about not working until eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, because that was how the working environment was back in that, those days. So either way, I just felt guilty all the time. I did have a very supportive leadership team in the business that I was in. They understood that because I was married for nine years before I had my first child and they knew how much I wanted to start a family. So I was given a sufficient amount of time off to sort of keep going back, you know, for hospital appointments, which, you know, going through IVF, I couldn't have done it in secret because the amount of time, you know, that it takes for you to keep disappearing you have to let your your leadership team know and if you're not in a role i think where the leadership team would support you in being able to go through that process then probably they're not the right organization anyway that you would want to be working for you'd you'd want to be in an organization where they've got those sort of family values which i think is really important particularly when you're a woman trying to sort of work our way up into a leadership position. And, you know, I had a couple of attempts at fertility treatment, which failed. And that was so devastating. But you have to carry on working 
and then you have to pick yourself back up again and then you have to try again but then eventually when it did work it was a great feeling but then I didn't have to have IVF second time around because I don't know how or why but Matthew came along naturally so we were very grateful of that which is the reason why we ended up having two children in in one year. Mm, Lovely and is there any practical tips that you have if someone is listening to this, going through IVF now or thinking of going through IVF again, if they've done it already, any practical tips of how to make sure your employer is engaged and also how to manage your emotions during this extremely hectic time whilst at the same time holding down a really high pressure job? Yeah, I think really it's about talking to people. So sharing with your line manager, you know, how tough it's been. And this is the route that you need to take in order to attempt to have a family and establish that you have their support and establish what the the guidelines are for your organization on you know how flexible they are in terms of your working hours whether you can maybe delegate tasks which if they've got tight deadlines if you're then juggling leadership roles quite often carry quite a lot of pressure deadline stress you're normally managing other people so if you've got the support of the organization and they will allow you to you know just during that period either sort of relax your deadlines or you know give some additional support around sort of delivering what you need to do during that time one of the things I didn't do which I wished I had is I didn't take up the offer of counseling mental health counselling, because the impact of IVF, whether it's even when it's successful, but in more particularly when it's not successful, the impact that it has on you personally is really quite significant. And and you need to take up every resource that is available to you. And it's not a sign of weakness. You need to take every bit of help and resource and support that you can have. And you don't have to be a hero and feel that you have to do it all on your own and that you can fulfill all of your role, however hectic it is and what deadlines you've got. If your organisation offers you additional help or somebody to come in temporarily to help you, don't refuse that help. Take it and embrace it to give yourself the time because you do need to have some downtime in order for the IVF to work, really. It doesn't help if you're significantly stressed Mm. when you're going through something like that. Absolutely. And what you described there was an absolute grueling schedule, obviously, after the children have arrived. And by the way, thank you for being so open and sharing that advice. I'm sure our listeners will find it very insightful. Once you did have the children and you did have that grueling schedule, is there anything that you just looking back on it now do you think nowadays you would still have to work this hard hours wise in order like just be really blunt and honest in order to become a ceo do you think you still have to work such crazy hours or is it possible to do it in another way no you don't have to do those hours and i think even without children even without a family things have improved to the point where it you're not expected to do 12 to 15 hour days just to prove yourself. I think in, you know, in time gone by, it was always felt that women probably had to work a bit hard because they had more to prove that they had to sort of stand up to their sort of male peers in order to say, look, I deserve this promotion because 
I'm always the first here. I'm always the last to leave. And that's just all presenteeism. And just generally in the workplace, we've all learned a lot more about that nowadays. And we know that it's not presenteeism is not necessary for you to be successful in a role. You can be just as successful just doing your normal, whatever your hours are. If your hours are nine to five thirty, you should be able to get within your working day what you need to do. It's just about really good time management and having a culture in an organization that expects you should be able to deliver your job within that time. So I worked those kind of hours because it was what everybody else did in the organization. But as I was the only female in our team at the time, I just felt that it was expected that I had to match the hours that the men did. But if I was in that situation now, I wouldn't feel that pressure. And certainly within my organisation, it's not expected that people have to work extra hours. In fact, we look out for it and make sure that people who do have families, male or female, they do have families that that they have that work-life balance. And that's one thing that I'm really proud of that we've achieved. But I think we promoted that within our organisation because I know just how tough it is. And it's about getting rid of that feeling, that constant feeling of guilt all the time that you feel like you should be in the office, that you know you should be starting earlier and working later. It really isn't necessary. And if there's somebody listening to this that feels that that's what they're having to do in order to be taken seriously or in order to be considered for that next promotion, then that organisation is not supporting them in a way that they should be supported when mm. they're trying to juggle a family and a career. Well said. You might get a lot of applications now, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> I want um, to plug for my business. But, no, but but I yeah. think, you know, that yeah. is exactly true. And sometimes it's also about having the conversations because quite often we do try to overcompensate for the fact that we have children, work mm. extra hard, and it's not necessarily what the employer expects. Sometimes it may be, but often it, it may not. So you obviously make hiring decisions for your senior leadership team. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I've got an agenda here, which is I would like more people with caring responsibilities to be in those top leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you know about the type of things you need to prioritize in order to get to those senior leadership roles? Is there anything that you've picked up from the equivalent of an old boys network, I guess, about what makes it? You know, just thinking back through your most recent hires for that board level, what made the big difference to you choosing the top candidate versus the others? I think everybody in our leadership team have got family. They've got sort of children of some description. When I interview people for any role, whether it be a senior leadership role, one of the things I look for more than their capabilities in terms of doing the job is the culture fit for the organisation and what their views are about family and how they organise themselves in terms of their work-life balance. Because at a leadership position, if they have their values right and they organise themselves right, I know then that they're going to manage their team effectively to make sure that that sort of culture disseminates through the organisation. So it's looking at the kinds of things that they do in and out of the workplace. I take a big interest in what they do for hobbies. You know, most people that work here, I know, you know, how many children they've got, 
quite often if my memory allows me what the names of the children are what the names of their pets are and that kind of thing but it's making sure that the culture fit is right and that I think that how they will behave will then be reflected further down in the organization so that's how I make my hiring decisions because you could have someone who is extremely successful but you know they are very demanding and very driven and and not very sympathetic to someone who may have a family to juggle and they may be overly you know sort of demanding of those people those aren't the kind of people that we would look to hire in the leadership mm-hmm. space here but that's what i think you know anybody who's aspiring to be a leader they need to be considering you know you have to lead by example very true so the implication for people who are currently applying for those roles would be show your real self don't try to present some sort of teflon identity show show who you yeah. really are yeah mm-hmm. i mean we we spend quite a lot of time you know sort of trying to really get to the real person yeah i'm a trained psychometric profiler as well which i've just learned throughout the years so i'd like to think that when i meet someone i can ask the right kind of open questions um in different ways to try and get to who they really are excellent and what's your most favorite question if you don't mind me asking oh what's my favorite question if i asked your partner to describe your personality how would they describe you because if you if you said to somebody tell me about your personality tell me who you are they will give you an a stock interview question and they don't ever expect you to say you know if i asked your partner to describe you quite often it's very difficult for them then to sort of do the interview stock question because they immediately come out they normally giggle and say oh that they would say i'm this that and the other so that's probably one of my favorite mm. questions that is an excellent question i'm going to steal that just coming back to your children you obviously had them in quick succession and know a lot of the parents listening to this are thinking about when is the right time in quotation mark to have a second child do you have any reflections obviously it sounds like you didn't plan necessarily to have it no. so quickly but what are your reflections about when is the right time to have a second child for me i didn't have a lot of of choice because he came along but i obviously have family members and friends who have had children and they've either had big gaps i've got friends where they have children and they don't have their next one until the first one is is sort of in school so that they've only got one at home what i found by having them together it's like having sort of two pets you if you take a puppy on you take two puppies on it's so much easier than one puppy because the two puppies entertain each other and it's exactly the same as having children fairly close together so in hindsight i'm really glad i had mine close together because as they were growing up you know they were real company for each other and no sooner you got out of one phase and you were going into the next phase you know the elder brother taught the younger brother because he was about to go into the next phase so it made potty training really easy you know it made you know sort of learning to share really easy because they hadn't had four or five years of having everything to themselves and having parents to themselves or the grandparents to themselves you know they had to learn to share quite early on and so the when they went to school that wasn't something that there was an issue you know you 
you quite often hear stories where you know they they had tantrums at nursery because they were playing with the toy and another child came along and took it off them well mine would have said okay you have that then I'll go and find something else to play with but also I socialized them a lot when they were younger so I really in hindsight I'm really glad I had mine close together but it depends on what support mechanisms you've got I had my mum who helped me sometimes. I also had a nanny for the first 18 months. And then I decided I wanted to put them into a nursery because I wanted them to socialise more with other children rather than it just being the two of them. So that that's what I did. And just having the nanny in the early days just sort of really helped because it meant I didn't have to take them somewhere to drop them off. The nanny came to the house and, you know, and it was a lot better organised because the nanny then prepared meals, did their washing and ironing. And so around the children, it meant that when I saw them, I wasn't having to be doing washing and ironing and, and doing prep. It meant that when I saw them, it meant that I could actually spend quality time with them. Mm. And that's what a lot of people say who do have the financial resources to have a nanny, that it, it really helps because some of the day-to-day things are are taken care of. Statistically, you probably shouldn't be where you are, a CEO of leading a, a really significant multi-million pound company, I think, yeah? yeah. Um, statistically, a lot of women with young children do not get into your position. Reflecting back, what would you like to pass on I guess, what moments that have shaped you would you like to pass on to the next generation? You're mentoring some women through various initiatives, including via the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. What are the key moments or realizations that you want to pass on that has, have made a difference to you that you think will make a difference to others? Surrounding yourself with positive people, picking a role model. So actually sort of choosing someone that you would you would want to aspire if you have a particular role or a you know a career that you are aspiring to do choose a role model that is doing that role now or that that job or has had a similar journey to what you want to go on and connect with them and and ask them to be a mentor and actually help you through the stages that that you want to go through i was influenced by a couple of people Actually, both of them were men. There wasn't a female role model, although I've got to know a lot more over sort of the recent five or six years. And I've joined a number of sort of female leadership groups. I'm a member of probably five or six. And I'm really inspired by the people that I meet. So I take three hours a month to make sure that I network and attend events where I sort of sit and spend time with other female leaders and listen to their journeys. And every single month I meet with them, I learn something new. And even though I've been running my business for about 20 years now, every day is a learning day. So the things that I would recommend is positive people, choose you know a role model and definitely go down the mentoring route to get you where you want to be. Mm, that's excellent advice. Thank you so much. And you've got sons. Do you have any advice for them about how to combine 
big careers with small children. Obviously, I don't. They don't have children yet, right? No, no. They have girlfriends. Um, <laughs> I've told them both that I insist that I need to become a grandma at some point. Jokingly, but I've just said I would absolutely love to be a grandma. So they have obviously seen their mum, who's always considered they consider to be a really successful businesswoman. And I know that they're proud of what I've achieved. So I think they would really probably follow how I've brought them up. And that is, I always had a rule once they were collected from nurseries that whenever I was with the boys, I would never took a work phone call. So the work phone was put to one side. So work was work. And when I was with the boys, I was with them. So I've always encouraged them to be present. So whatever they're doing, be present with what you're doing. And certainly when you have your own children, you can have a career, but make sure that when you have your time with your children, that you're actually there with them and you're not with them, but you're on the phone doing a business call or something like that. That's really helpful reflection. A lot of people listening will feel under a lot of pressure to spend as much time as possible. They might feel guilty or being told they should feel guilty about working full time. And is there anything that you can reassure? So, so people sometimes feel they have to work part time in order to make sure that their children still like them and they've grown up. Nothing against working part time. But is there anything you can say to reassure people who do feel that pressure and feel that they don't spend enough time with their children? Absolutely. I think the first thing... I've never worked part-time, never. So I worked full-time throughout all of their childhood. And my boys at times, if I had to go out early for a meeting and neither of us could drop them off at the usual school time, they would even go to morning club and then after school club. So they were dropped off at eight o'clock in the morning and they were not picked up until sometimes 5.30, 6 p.m. at night. Right. The biggest thing is the children are not going to come to any harm because you work full time. Your children will be socialized. They will be entertained. They will be doing things. And as they get older, those things will change. When they're in their early formative years, they will be just learning coordination skills, early reading. They'll be you know, just having fun in sand pits and, you know, probably doing more exciting things than if I picked them up and took them home. Would I have a water play, a sand pit, you know, a whole host of toys? The danger is, is that they could come home and you could just plonk them in front of the TV while you start getting dinner ready. Because at the end of the day, if you've got children, it's not just about being children, but you're a wife and you've got a home to run, you've got washing and ironing and housework to do. So the big thing for me was that the children didn't come to any harm, both physically or mentally, through me working full time. As they got older, they then started, instead of going to after school club, they then started to go into football club or rugby club or chess and things like that. So as a result, my boys now, 22 and 23, they're quite sporty. They're very bright. They're very sociable. They can talk to anybody at any age group, really. And they're very polite. And I'm, I have been sort of complimented on how polite and sort of lovely the boys are because they're well-rounded. But that makes the time that you are with them so much more important that it that is quality time. 
and that they aren't just plonked in front of a TV. So no, I wouldn't change it. If I had my time again and was told you need to work part-time, I would ask why. Hmm. Why is that then? I feel that I could juggle everything. But as I say, the children were not harmed or damaged in any way by me working full-time. And if you spoke to my boys, you would find them very happy, contented and well-rounded. And it sounds like they still like you. And they still speak yeah. to you, which is still at home. You know, that, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> we go on holiday together still, and we spend time together and we have fun together. Mm. That is so reassuring to hear, I'm sure, for many listeners and myself included. So thank you for sharing that. Self-belief has been a bit of a theme in this conversation. And I'm going to put you on the spot too. Oh. And you can opt out of this if you want. <laughs> But it, I would like you to share. So if there's someone who's listening and struggling with self-belief, I would like you to come with one or two additional practical things that can do this week. So you mentioned about role models and seeking out a role model. Is there any other practical thing they could do this week in order to boost their self-belief if everyone around them is dissuading them and they're overwhelmed with the workload and yeah. the responsibilities? Oh, it is putting me on the spot because I've not thought about the answer to this. But the first thing that comes to mind is to look at what you've achieved already. So whether that be that whether you've already gone through university and you've got a degree, that's an achievement. If you're on your journey in your career and you already have got up so many levels in the organization and you have those moments, it's, it's I mean, some people call it imposter syndrome, don't they? What you have to do is to, you have to build strategies around combating those gremlins that sit on your shoulder and tell you that you can't do something. So it's about looking at what you've achieved already and thinking, well, how did I get from A to B? I've already done that. So why am I allowing my self-belief to tell me that I can't get from B to C and then C to D? So sometimes it's about a bit of self-reflection, but get some 360 feedback from people around you. Ask your manager, you know, how you're viewed. Ask people who are in your team how they feel about you. Ask your mentor or your role models, you know, and get sort of the feedback and give yourself a break and, you know, have that self-belief that you already have gone so far You've got the thoughts that you want to be in a leadership role. So that's an achievement in itself. There's mm. so many people that don't believe that they can be anything at all and end up doing the same job for decades and don't ever move and don't ever change anything. The fact that you're thinking about your next move into leadership or your next move on your journey shows that deep down you must have some self-belief because otherwise you wouldn't be aspiring to go into a more senior position. Thank you so much for this inspiring word, Wendy. I really enjoyed interviewing you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Good luck, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast all the way until the end. Um, really, hopefully it was useful and I'm really pleased if it was. If it was, then do please share it with one or two of your friends on WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, whatever you happen to use. It's been wonderful to see the podcast grow 
so much over the last few months and um, tripling the listener numbers but we're hoping to grow it even more because there's some dream guests of mine for example i would love to interview brenda brown and i would love to interview more ceos and there are plenty of people on my dream guest list so i guess some of them they want to have even higher listener numbers so do help us out by sharing it far and wide so we can get all those amazing guests and I would also love to answer more of your questions and we figured out a way to do this. So if you head over to speakpipe.com forward slash big careers small children, that's speakpipe.com forward slash big careers small children, you can send a voice note with one of your questions, which we can then put to one of our upcoming guests as part of the podcast conversation. And I think that would be a really interesting way to get you to participate and, and make the podcast even more about what you need to hear. We've got some brilliant people come up. We've got a CEO who works part-time. We have a HR director. We have someone who works in a really male-dominated environment. We have someone who has been the first one to in her organization to work part-time in a senior role and applied for a full-time job but then negotiated for it to be part-time and so on. So yes, but the bottom line is, please send me your comments and most importantly, your questions. So speakpipe.com forward slash big careers small children. If you just want me to listen to your message, but not include it, then please say at the beginning that you want it to be kept anonymous and we won't include it. But other than that, um, we might include your message in the podcast itself. Um, so just let us know if you don't want that. To happen and also we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to think about what more we can offer you and um, one practical thing is that we are putting on quite a few additional open events for people that aren't part of our community yet and um, the best way to find out about those will be in to sign up to the newsletter so in the next newsletter there will be a long list with events both for employers and for individuals that you can sign up Two, we've got one, for example, for people who are uh, pregnant and, and we'll have one about dual careers. So if you are a couple and both of you are working in high power careers, how do you survive or even is it possible to thrive? Um, to sign up to the newsletter if you want to be kept in the loop about that. There are also other events and opportunities all on the website. The fellowship is running once a year. So if you want to be Consider for that, the best way is to make sure that you go on leaderspluss.org.uk forward slash register interest. Um, it's a nine month program, you get a senior leader mentor. Um, basically, there are amazing senior leaders who have lived experience of balancing young children and a career and who want to support others. You get an amazing program of workshops to support you progress your career with young children. Um, I won't go into too much details, you probably have heard about it, but um, there are always funded places and hardship fund places, so but for those it's worth being on the list early and therefore go and register interest. And I think that's all I wanted to say to you today. Thank you again for listening and any questions, comments, just go to speakeasy.com forward slash, sorry, speakpipe.com forward slash big careers small children. Thank you very much and see you both speak to you next week.